still hold the, the, the energy of verbing. Yeah? Like some of these, and they're usually short little parables or statements, but they have a lot of juice still, so they keep living. And then your being also, so you see them, it's like a beautiful dance, there's a give and take, you see new things and stuff like that. So repetition, I find, if this seems to be a dilemma, then repetition's helpful. But not neurotic repetition, you know? A repetition of a way of listening is, and to me, I like the word entertaining. It's not like pouring over something. It's not studying it. It's like it gets introduced and there's an entertaining of it. In other words, the, the mind doesn't close around it. It still stays open while it's floating around. It's sort of like the, the fly, but not a fly. It's like another, let's say, a butterfly, and you don't close the windows. It flutters, flutters, flutters. Maybe it lights for a little while, but then it flutters out. So you entertain it. That's how. That's what I'm attempting to imply when I use the word entertaining. It's not a thinking about it. It's just for me. It's sort of like this. You know, you just you know, you're walking around, and it's in there, and you're entertaining it. Yeah. Shiny object. Yeah, it gives you a sense of a verb. So I want to read something I just read here, which is really cool. A couple of them. These are from Ramana Maharshi. Some of my favorite ones. So it says, Just give up the individual I, and there will be no need to find the real I. Just give up the individual I, and there's no need to find the real I. It's self-evident. It's not evident to the I, though, and nor will it ever be, because obviously the I is trying to make it a noun that it can have. Then he says here that that which does not, oh yeah, that which is does not have to say I am, for no thought arises that I am not. Yeah, beautiful. So that which is does not have to say I am, for no thought arises that I am not. Yeah? The case is closed. There's no option available. It's choicelessness, really. And then the last one I brought with me in this small little book is knowing God means being God. It is not relative knowledge. So knowing God means being God. That's what I was saying earlier. The only way you can actually, quote-unquote, know the truth is be the truth because it's a verb. It's not a bit of knowledge for you to have, yes, and then to take advantage of. It's something that's moving in a weird, in a, not a way that we think of moving, but to keep up with it, you must be a verb. Because <laughs> if you're a noun, then it has distance either close or far from you. <laughs> but as a verb, it's just a verb. Where can you put a central reference point in verbing? You don't know where it begins or ends, or is it center, or where it's going to stop, or where it's going to start. It's just on, it's just going, always. So there's no point you can enter, no point you can exit. It's just that revelation. You're just, it's something's incessantly on. Incessantly on, just totally awake. And the head, you will watch the head claim it, and yet if you see the head claiming it, it doesn't change. Any claiming or non-claiming actually doesn't create any, uh, let's say, disturbance in that awareness. The awareness is totally untouched by anything here. The most heinous act doesn't leave any mark on the awareness. 
the worst thing that you ever thought you did, that you've been mining for guilt and shame for the last 30 or 40 years, has no effect on the awareness. It's pristinely, beautifully removed, in a sense, from all the activity. It's like that sky. We call skies clouds, really. We see the cloud formation. We say, well, that was a beautiful sky tonight, but it really wasn't the sky we're talking about because you can't see the sky. You can only see what's in it. So you see the clouds, and then you assume that's the sky to you because that thing you can name and form. But in fact, the sky is that empty space that allows everything to appear in. And it's, you know, like I was saying the other day, you know, planes aren't flying in and bumping into sky up there. Oh, we hit some sky, you know. No, they're appearing in it, and yet they don't take up any space in it or anything like that. Nothing, no sky is absent by a, a plane appearing in it. There isn't, if a car, if there's too many planes in there, this gets to a point of critical mass where there's too much sky absent, they'd all fall out now. So, Jesus, we ran out of sky, there's less sky here. We've got enough fly so many planes. No, you can have as many things as you want to appear in the sky. It doesn't remove any of the sky, Yes? Like space isn't lost in this wall, and then there's space out of this wall, and the space is here, and this is stopping, this is changing, this space is in, and that's out. There's just space. Anything can appear in it, but it doesn't take up any of its space. Yeah? That's exactly what's happening. No matter how many thoughts you barrage on this moment, it doesn't outweigh what's happening. The emptiness is never, never, can never possibly be distorted by all the yakking that the head does. It can only distort, like if you're on this side of the clouds, and you're sitting on the land, then the clouds can seem to stop you from getting some sun. This is the land of the noun, so to speak. This is when you're identified as this. This puts you in a position that the clouds can stop you from feeling the effects of the sun. But with the same situation in place, if you're on the side of the sun, you don't see the clouds as an impediment. You just see them as appearing, yes? They're not affecting any contact with light. They're not, you know, there's no threat. They have no real influence or power. They're just what's appearing in the sky from the point of view of that. But from the point of view of a body on this side, the clouds can stop you from contacting the, the sky, the sun. Yeah. So, when I, to me, these are very succinct, perfect statements, really. You can't beat them. You know, you know God. By knowing God, it's being God. And obviously, being God is how you know God. Yeah. Being God is how you know God. You know a verb by verbing it, verbing with it. That's the only way you get the essence of a verb. Any other knowledge isn't knowledge around that. Because it loses the essence of the verb. You can't put it on the glass. You can't have something. You cannot have it. You can't achieve it. You can't attain it. You can't call it, I've realized something. It doesn't happen that way. That's like we put these imaginary dams up and we think we're going to create a reservoir of beingness and then charge people money for it. This is my beingness. This is Lake Paul over here. But no, it's flowing and flowing and flowing. No matter how many conceptual dams you try to set up, there's no stopping it, yes? They're just like, this doesn't create space in and out. 
It's just an imaginary wall that we make up. We give it a sense of being a noun, thinking it can take up space. It doesn't take up any space. It's an appearance in the space. So all things are arising to appear in that space of consciousness, that we are. But what we're not can't contact it. You can't contact that consciousness as what you're not. All that you do is get exhausted, maybe, and then you'll realize that you have been actually witnessed the you that you think you are from that point of consciousness. Every second of every day of quote-unquote your life. And all the shenanigans that you perform that were given so much meaning, this could ruin a life, this could make a life, this is the worst thing that ever happened, this is the best, all that hasn't created one effect on that lake of awareness. Yeah? It's perfectly pure and pristine. It can hold anything that ever appears. Yes, yet it never becomes it. It never gets affected by it, in a sense. And it's demonstrating it every moment of every day. You're in conscious contact. And when you're not, this won't be a topic you'll be worried about. Really. When you're not in conscious contact, you won't have to worry about knowing the truth. <laughs> It'll be over. The light will come off, will be off, and there you go. You'll be bye-bye, as is you. But now, while we're in conscious contact, it's revealing itself every moment, but not to you. It's revealing itself as you, which is confounds when... It confounds us because we think there's a you already. <laughs> we go, wait a minute, this can't be me, I'm me, so now I'm going to be someone who practices this other me that I'll call awareness or the ultimate truth. But it's actually what we are, revealing itself as us, yet when self sees that, it thwarts that message, yes? And it says, oh, that's something I may want to explore. I may want to explore consciousness. I want to, maybe I can become more conscious this and that. Yeah? But in fact, it's succumbing to its message. Every second, every moment of conscious contact, it's just revealing itself to be us. Yeah? The interpretation of conditioned mind, I am feeling, I am hearing, I am seeing, I am tasting, I am touching. Then the attention, because you think it's about you, goes with that story. And more and more, you get involved in that story, less and less you're entertaining what you are. And then you suffer the effects of someone who's separated from the truth. Yeah? And of course, maybe you want to get back to the truth, but then you believe that you actually, the biggest problem is you thought you were away from the truth. <laughs> so now the you that thinks it's away from the truth tries to get back to the truth, which is the most useless journey of all. You never left it. How could you possibly leave it? You are it, yeah. So any journey has already been complete prior to you preparing for it. It's already so. You are that which is aware of you thinking about taking a journey. Yeah. And every step of the journey, the awareness that you're looking for is already revealing itself. But you think it's in the Himalayas or somewhere else or in that teacher or somewhere. It's always put off. It always is placed somewhere out of reach and, in, and later, you know? And always based on conditions and circumstances. When I get to the retreat, I'm going to feel really good. But while I'm getting there, I won't feel good. Every day I'm not at the retreat, I'm not feeling good, but I know I will feel good when I go to the retreat. Then you go to the retreat, maybe you feel better, and then you go back into the same thing. Now I don't feel good, so I'll just go on a longer retreat. 
and so on and so forth, so on and so forth. It's all a story. You're not what feels good, nor do you feel bad. You're neither of them. You're not the one who feels bad that now has become the one that only feels good. You have never been a one that felt anything. There's just been the awareness of feelings. What I always find with everyone is that it's that thing with the sheep, you know. We're lions. And the message now people are getting to hear is, you're a lion. And that message goes around here and hits the ear, and but you and I are identified as self, let's say, and so we have sheep ears. So they, I'm a lion, I'm a lion, I'm a lion, I'm a lion. It comes in here and then it becomes, I can become like a lion. That's not the message. It's I'm a lion, you're 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 a lion. Oh, I can become like a lion. That's not the message. But when the self hears this message, it can only understand it based on its def- definition, which is a very limited definition, which is I'm already previously something that if I really like the, what I hear, I can become like that. I can never actually be it, obviously, because I'm already something else. I'm a body and a paw, and I have a history, and I have problems, and I'm, they're as real as real can be. I feel it. Ooh, that hurts. I must be real and all this. And therefore, all right, I'm going to practice doing something and having things to make me seem like I'm becoming to be like a lion. Yeah. So that's the process. So all the while, I'm attempting to become like a lion, I'm in denial that I am a lion. And maybe there's a lot of people who will see you as a humble sheep, being very noble, trying to become like a lion, but it doesn't matter. You are a lion. So any attempt to become like one is reinforcing the fact that you're not, and it's not a fact. That's the dilemma. So people hear the message, I'm a lion, I'm a lion. No, I can become like a lion. No! You have to be an ear doctor. If you participate in offering this message, you actually have to take a, you know, a follow-up exam. You've got to watch, check people out. You can't just go whoop and then split. You don't have to sort of go, hey, how did they hear this message? Yeah. Oh, I heard what he had to say. And then you hear them talking. Yeah, we're going to start practicing and going to this. No, 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 no. That's not what happened. This is not another practice. So you have to check the ears, ear doctor, check it out. So how did you actually hear this, what I was saying? Well, I heard about being a lion, and now I'm starting to become like one. I'm going to practice becoming a lion. No. It's like this teacher I used to see, he had like a four-page, one of his transcriptions, a beautiful statement of non-doership. And then he ended talking, and then they had the next paragraph was student or whatever. And the student was a woman, and she raised her hand and says, Yeah, I understand totally what you're saying, now what do I do? Jesus Christ, the system is so unbelievable. Yeah, she just heard an incredible description of non-doership that, you know, could have sold, you know, someone who doesn't even have a, a floor to buy a carpet. You know, this is a perfect sales pitch. And then and she totally believes she got it, and the next thing she says is, what do I do? This is the perniciousness of the system. Anything that gets introduced into this will be morphed into it. Anything. Anything. Anything that has nothing to do with doing and having will be, a, the doing and having will be applied to it. Because it cannot see it any other way. If you believe you're something prior to it and someone says you're not, the only way you can entertain being that is to be like it. You cannot entertain because this is the primary identification. And this self-centeredness is not letting this go. 
This is his whole root cause of being seemingly existing, is this. Yeah. And it's going to override whatever you hear. Yeah. It's going to say, okay, I got it, and then what do I do? What do I have? In other words, immediately, the reality of your absence of that truth is going to be made real. Yes? And it's going to be sustained in your practicing to trying to get there. And all you may turn out is that maybe you'll look like a new spiritual self, but you're still bonded to the idea of being something other than what you are. Okay, and so what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I would always say help someone else. If you're going to do something, help somebody else. Yeah? You'll see when you're less concerned about you. One of the biggest things I learned in recovery was I left a program, I spent two years in there, called Delancey Street. I mean, I needed, really needed supervision. I was like an untamed animal out there. So they had to put me in a place for two years, lived there 24-7. And after I got out of there, I graduated, I had to admit that I didn't like the people there, and I didn't like the principal, and the principal, you know, the president, she was a psychiatrist, and all the counselors. But I had to admit that my life looked better with them running it than it ever did with me running it. And I experienced an incredible bit of information. Because I thought if I had vested interest in myself, it would promote me. I really believed that, you know. It's really important for me to have a vested interest in my own life. That would be one of my main promoting momentums. But it actually was the opposite. I learned that if I, turned, if I looked around this room, I probably wouldn't turn my life to everyone here, but most of you are good. <laughs> that if I turned my life over to you, you would do a better job with it than I do. Because you have no vested interest in it. It was actually the vested interest, that obsession with self, that was the cause of all the fucking unmanageability. Because it kept trying to manage the life. Yeah. And I was just not managing the quality. And life was demonstrating it. But I was so stubborn, I just kept applying the same old, same old. Yeah. I could pick a stranger out, a dog catcher, and he'd do a better job with my life. Because he had some fucking sanity around it. Yeah. That blew my mind, because I actually assumed, if I'm thinking about myself, I would think that 